Good morning, a warm welcome to the service this morning. So let's uh, let's begin this time of worship now. Let's uh, unite our hearts in prayer together. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you on this, your day, for the encouragement of the, the gospel, uh, the words that we have sung, which uh, take us back to these truths in your word, uh, where we are caused to lift our eyes from ourself and from this world uh, to see Jesus and to see the reality of eternity. We thank you that you have made us in your image. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. We thank you that you have made us uh, with that deep knowledge within us uh, that there is more to life in this world. You have set eternity in the hearts of men and women, as your word says. And we thank you, Lord, that you have given us such clear teaching on what eternity looks like. Uh, we recognize that uh, there is much that we cannot understand. I cannot see and ear cannot hear. Uh, we don't have minds uh, that are capable of comprehending the, the wonder and the glory of all that you have prepared for those uh, whom you love. Uh, we, we know that, Lord, but we thank you that you have given us such clear and simple directions as to how we can get to that place which is called heaven. We thank you that the smallest child, uh, even in primary school, can understand the, the reality of gospel truth, that uh, you are God and that you are holy and that we are sinners. And that sin keeps us at a distance from you. That is our problem. That is our predicament. But we thank you, Father, that you sent your son Jesus into this world uh, to help us to be our savior. We thank you that Jesus lived that sinless life as our substitute. We thank you that Jesus went to the cross to, to pay the punishment for all the sin that stains our hearts and our lives. And we thank you that Jesus finished that work of salvation. On the third day, he rose from the dead, showing that everything that was necessary to make it possible for us to be saved was finished, it was done. And all we have to do is believe. So enable us, we pray, to be those who believe, who don't just hear your word, but who act upon it. Enable us to be those who, who do not neglect such great salvation, but to take hold of Jesus, the Savior. Lord, we recognize that uh, when we die, there is a heaven to gain and there is a hell to shun. We recognize that your word warns us that if we don't listen to you, if we refuse Jesus, uh, there is not just nothing, but there is a place where we have to go to pay for our own sin. And Jesus spoke of it more than any anyone did. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to see uh, the seriousness and the urgency of the gospel call. Enable us here, each one of us, to respond, to confess our sin, to believe in Jesus, to be saved. And Lord, we pray that you would help us, if we are those who are Christians, to go out from this place, to tell others about the offer of salvation and the seriousness of refusing that offer. We recognize that there are many people in us, in this community, who are all around us, who don't know the truth about the gospel, who don't understand who Jesus is, who have no awareness of what he has done for them. And Lord, you have commissioned us to go out with this message. So give us courage and give us opportunity. Help us, we pray, to take every opportunity you give us to speak of the hope that we have in Christ and enable us, Lord, when we do, to speak with gentleness and to speak with respect 
and to speak with earnestness and love. So we pray for all those around us in this community and we ask, Lord, that you would help us to to reach them and that you would move in the power of your spirit. We pray for this nation as we do week by week, a nation that once was known for our love of the gospel. Uh, Now we are known for the speed at which we have uh, pushed the gospel away. Have mercy on us, we pray. Lord, as we see your word removed from the public square, as the children in schools hear less and less of the, the grace of Jesus, we ask that you would have mercy on us. And Lord, that you would turn us back to yourself. We know that uh, you are able to, to come in awakening and reviving power. And we ask, Lord, that you would do so, that we would see this nation once more looking to Jesus. We pray for those that you have set in authority over us uh, in the royal family and government and Westminster and Holyrood. We ask, Lord, that uh, you would enable them to be humbled and to look to you, that we may have the, the opportunity to continue to worship you in peace in this land. We pray for all nations. We pray for the spread of the gospel across this world. We pray for the, the places that we are connected with in particular. Uh, we think of Romania. We think of Malawi. We think of uh, the DPRK. We think of uh, different areas, Lord, where we have uh, gone out as as individuals where we have looked into and been able to pray for. And we ask, Lord, that you would be working in these places, that as we see situations and people in our mind's eye, Lord, that you would be working and that you would be moving in these places. And we pray that you would help us in our need. We are always in need. We are conscious especially of those who are grieving today. And as we thank you for Donald's life, as we gathered yesterday, uh, we pray for his family. We pray for the Morrison family, especially Mary. And we ask, Lord, for your comfort and for your strength to be given to them. And for all who are grieving like them. And for those who are sick, Lord, as they come to our mind's eye, we we remember them, we pray for them, those who are at home, uh, those who perhaps may be coming towards the end of life. We ask, Lord, that you would minister to them and that you would help them. We think especially of Rachel McSween and Donald and Katrina as they care for her. And we ask, Lord, that she would know your continual presence that she would know no fear, but that uh, sense of the Lord, her shepherd, with her uh, always. So hear our prayers. Uh, Continue with us in this time of worship. Enable us to worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord, that our minds would be decluttered from all the cares of this world, and Lord, that you would minister to our hearts. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you love us and we thank you that you love us enough to tell us about our own hearts. Your words like a mirror and you show us our hearts. And we confess that we are all sinners. We pray that you would forgive us, that you'd wash us in the blood of Jesus. We pray for anybody who's never yet given their lives to you. And we ask that even in these moments they they might pray, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, take my sin away and be my Lord. And for those of us who've been Christians maybe for a few years, if we're younger, and maybe a lot of years if we're older, uh, we confess, Lord, that uh, there are things in our lives that we still struggle with. Some of us, it's bad tempers, and some of us, it's laziness, and some of it, it's wanting the things that we don't need. Uh, You know what's going on in our hearts. And Lord, as we see that, and as other people might see that too, we pray that you would keep on washing our hearts clean, that you would keep on helping us to turn away from sin. And Lord, that you would keep on filling us with the Holy Spirit, that we would build lives that are 
pleasing to you. So hear our prayers and help us, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And if we could turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, please. And we will read from verse 8 to verse 12. Just a short section. This is God's word. Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Amen. And may God bless that reading of his word to us. If you could turn back, please, with me to the passage that we read in First Peter chapter 3. And as we go there, let's uh, pray again. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you for this letter uh, that was inspired by the Holy Spirit, that was penned by Peter, a disciple of Jesus, uh, flawed in many ways and yet used mightily uh, in the work of the gospel. We ask, Lord, that you would open our ears and our eyes and our hearts, that we may be ready to receive your word. Uh, speak, Lord, we pray. Give us that sense of expectation that you will minister into our own lives. And Lord, we pray for every other congregation that meets as we do, uh, wherever the gospel is preached, wherever Christ crucified uh, is, is preached, we ask, Lord, that you would be working. We pray for the congregations around us, different denominations, Lord, uh, bless them, we pray, and uh, minister uh, through your servants. We think of Gordon, especially today over in uh, North East, and we ask that you would guide him and lead him and speak through him. And uh, we ask that you would guide them in that vacancy over there, that you would lead them to the man of your choosing. And we pray for Stuart as he ministers in Leverborough this morning, as he opens your word, that, uh, that Christ would be seen and heard. And Lord, that he would know your blessing as he preaches. And for the congregations connected to us, we thank you for those visiting with us today. And we ask, Lord, that you would be blessing uh, the congregations that they may attend in a different area, uh, that uh, the, the name of Jesus would be lifted up and that many would be drawn uh, to him in this day. We pray that it wouldn't be just a normal day, that that wouldn't be our expectation. But we ask, Lord, that you would do a work in this place and the places that we pray for, uh, that there would be souls that are sleeping, souls that are dead in transgression and sin that would be called to life by the gospel of Jesus. Just as Lazarus heard the, the words uh, uh, come forth and the dead man was raised from the dead, we pray that there would be souls that are dead, that are brought to life as uh, the name of Jesus is heard today. And Lord, we ask that you would quicken uh, the hearts of your people. Uh, we confess that like the church in Laodicea, our hearts can be lukewarm at times. We pray that uh, you would awaken us, that you would revive us, that we would have hearts that are full of zeal for your glory. So hear our prayers and help us, we ask, as we preach and as we listen and as we respond. And we ask all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, if you could turn uh, to the passage we read in First Peter. Just to put it in context, I think most of us would be fairly familiar with um, what we're reading. This is a letter 
uh, from Peter, the disciple uh, that we know and that we love. It was stated around about AD 65, 30 plus years after Jesus died and rose. And it's a letter that was addressed to churches in what we know now as Turkey. And yet equally, it's a letter that's addressed to us uh, in Tarbert. And as we think about Peter, uh, we see in our mind's eye a disciple that we followed closely as we studied through Luke's gospel. Peter is a, a man who knew Jesus, who trusted Jesus, who, who followed Jesus. And yet Peter has the humility, uh, as he writes, uh, and it comes through. He's a man who knew what it was to fail, to fall, and to have Jesus pick him back up and set him back on course. So Peter, he's in this letter, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to those who have been chosen by God the Father, who have been cleansed by God the Son, who have been changed and who are being changed by God the Holy Spirit. And in this short section that we're looking at today, uh, Peter, he gives insight into the, the Christian life. Uh, he, he allows us to see what the Christian life looks like. When we flick through our channels these days, uh, we don't have to flick for long before we come on to a, a, a program that's dealing with some kind of so-called reality TV. And reality TV, if it works in trueness, you know, you have cameras that are set in different places, and we're not seeing something that's rehearsed. We're supposed to be seeing something that's that's real, uh, and it's uh, it's warts and all. I think often reality TV is a bit staged, but this is not staged. And in this section of Peter's letter, uh, it's a bit like. Christian reality TV. Peter is describing uh, what the Christian life looks like in reality or what it should look like uh, as we live it out in, in this world. So for those of us who are Christians today, you could say that this, this letter and, and this section in particular, it's like a manual for us and what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus in the, in the cut and thrust of this, this world. And, and for those who are not Christians this morning, this letter is like an invitation to live a different life. This letter uh, is a, an invitation uh, to, to trust Jesus and to live a life where we are trusting Jesus, where we are following Jesus, a life that looks different to the life that perhaps some are living just now. So where do we begin? Well, the first point for this morning is uh, we are to rejoice in grace. And uh, we will go to verse 8 uh, to think that one through. In verse 8, Peter says, Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love us brothers, be compassionate and humble. And verse 8 was, was last week's focus. Uh, Peter calls the Christians in, in Turkey, he calls the Christians in Tarbert, uh, to live in harmony, to have one mind, literally, uh, to show sympathy, uh, to, to really feel for each other. Uh, to love each other as brothers and sisters in God's family, and to be compassionate and humble. And, and last week we, we, we focused on that verse. We, we thought through uh, what that verse means for our lives. And it's a, it's a challenging verse. And I felt the challenge of it, and I know other people felt the challenge of uh, that verse as well. And I want to ask the question, uh, as we are now seven days on from it, how's the week gone? For those of us who are Christians, how, how is the, how's the last week gone? To what extent have we lived out verse 8? To what extent can we and can those who are close to us uh, see that we are those who are in harmony with one another? Uh, 
To what extent have we been sympathetic rather than critical? To what extent uh, have we loved each other as brothers and, and sisters in Christ? How have we, in our words, in our actions, even in our thoughts, been compassionate and, and humble? You know, as we look in the mirror of God's word, and remember, I have to look at this for longer than you have. What do I see and what do you see in your life? Can we go through where I say it and say, tick, 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 perfect. And if we can, we're deluded because the reality is we, uh, we fail. Even if we scan back over the last seven days, I'm quite certain that we can think of conversations, situations, thoughts, motivations that have not been verse 8. So as we, as we reread this verse, we probably feel something of the sting of it. So what do we do? We rejoice in grace. That's what we do. See, Christian life begins on the day that we ask for forgiveness and we, we receive grace from Jesus. As we were talking, thinking with the children, that, that's when Christian life begins. We should be able to, to think back to a day or, or a time where we are consciously said, I know I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, will you forgive me? Will you give to me grace? And when we pray that from the sincerity of our hearts, we receive grace, forgiveness, salvation. But that's just the beginning. Because as we were saying with the children, we fail in so many ways. And so we need to keep coming back to Jesus day by day by day by day for fresh supplies of grace. And as we receive them, we rejoice in them. So as we reread verse 8, we don't despair this morning in who we are and how we fall short, but we rejoice in the grace of Jesus. As the hymn that we sang goes, when Satan tempts me to despair, and he could very easily use verse 8 to tempt us to despair. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him, Jesus, where all grace flows from. We see him there who made an end of all my sin because the sinless Savior died. My sinful soul is counted free for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. And that's grace. So if you're listening this morning and you're not a Christian, but you're seeing your sin, come to Jesus and tell him about your sin and receive his grace. And for those who are in Christ, as we feel how much we fall short of God's standard. What do we do? We come again to Jesus. We don't run from him. We don't give in to despair and withdraw. We come again to Jesus. We tell him about our sin and we receive and we rejoice. Day by day by day, we rejoice in his amazing grace. So that's where we begin this morning. That's where we should begin every morning. We rejoice in grace. And secondly, as we move from verse 8, uh, we are given a charge here to repay evil with good. So when we suffer evil, when we feel uh, the sting of evil, we're to repay that not with evil, but with good. And you could say in verse 8, Peter's talking to, to Christians about how we are to be within the church, how we're to be towards each other. And now, uh, going from verse 8 to verse 9, Peter, he's talking to us about how we're to live in this world. What we're to be like when we're outside, when we're amongst those who, who are not Christians and who may actually be very hostile to the Christian message and the Christian person. And so Peter says, as God inspires him, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. 
One of the commentators, a guy called uh, Jonathan Cruz, uh, he said, Christians are not yo-yos. Christians are not yo-yos. And you know how a yo-yo works. You know, you have the thing in your hand and you, you throw it down and it comes back. And if you throw a, throw a yo-yo down with force, it comes back at you at force and clocks you on the chin. But if you throw it down gently, it just comes back gently. And uh, Peter's saying here, uh, that, that's the way of the world. Uh, Cruz, the commentator, is saying we're not yo-yos. You know, in this world, if someone throws harsh words at you in a forceful way, the world will respond with the same force. And the, 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 the sin within us wants to do that. Somebody insults us, what do we want to do? Well, I'll get, you, I'll get one back in there. Someone throws words forcefully at us, our fallen nature is to want to throw words back at them with equal force. And Peter knew all about that because he'd done it many a time. But as Jesus speaks through Peter, uh, he says, uh, don't be like that. Don't repay evil with evil, but repay evil with good. Don't repay forceful words with forceful words, but repay forceful words with gentle words. There's a proverb about that. that a gentle word turns away anger. We're to repay insult with blessing, says Peter. And uh, this is a challenge, no matter how uh, far we are along the road as Christians, no matter how much God may have worked in our lives over the years, this is a challenge to try and live this one out in our homes when things get heated, in the workplace, when somebody really gets in our nerves, on the football pitch, when the, 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 the temperature is rising. This is a challenge. Mark Twain said, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. And Peter's saying to us, you need to understand this is, this, is, this is your mission, this is our mission. Daily we are to ask the question, how can I bless those who are evil to me? And as we accept this vision, this, this uh, mission, as we, as we live this out, not only are we a blessing to those who actually want to curse us, but we, we receive blessing, repay evil with good. That's the charge. And if we want an example of, of what this looks like in action, we, we look to Jesus. Remember how he was insulted all through his life and ministry, and especially as he, as he came near to the cross, as the trial was underway, as the charges were pressed. Do you remember the insults from those on either side of him initially, from the passers-by, from the religious authorities, from the crowds as they cried out, crucify him? The insults. Remember how evil men drove cruel nails into his hands and his feet. How did he respond? Well, it wasn't with insults. What he prayed was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Another example is the Apostle Paul, uh, Acts chapter 16. Remember Paul and Silas, they're, they're locked in the Philippian uh, jail. They, they suffered evil. They were suffering evil for Jesus' sake as they, as they were in this, this grim cell. And the world would expect them, ha having faced that and finding themselves in that condition, the world would expect them to be bitter and miserable and complaining in this awful cell. But what are they doing? They're praising God. And then when God opened the prison door with an earthquake, did they, did they face the, the jailer that locked them up and, and laugh at him and say, that's you put in your place as they walked out the door? No, they, they didn't walk out the door. They stayed and they ministered to him. Uh, they blessed him. They, they led him to Jesus. We're to repay evil with good. And if we take this in and try and live this out, this, this gives us a different perspective on suffering. You know, when we are insulted, when we sometimes suffer evil treatment for, for Jesus' sake, 
our natural response is to want to withdraw and complain. But Peter is teaching us here that the supernatural response to that is to ask the question, how can I in this situation, even though I'm stinging, even though I'm hurting from your words, even though I feel embarrassed because I've been isolated and shut out because I'm a Christian, we're to ask the question, how can I repay evil with good? How can I be a blessing in this situation? That's the supernatural response. And that's what we're called to. And that's what God will help us with if we try. Sinclair Ferguson said, it's never easy being demeaned, but there's great fun in being a Christian. There's great fun in taking the world by surprise and seeking to be a blessing. So let's be encouraged to try that this week. When somebody fires a torpedo of, of, of words at us and our natural self says, I'm going to fight fire with fire, take a breath and let's pray and ask the Lord to show us and give us the strength to be a blesser rather to want to throw a punch. Repay evil with good, second point. The third point, taking us into verse 10, is uh, we are to relish life. For whoever would love life and see good days, says Peter, and, and so he goes on. And Peter, in uh, verse 10 and following, he's quoting from, from Psalm 34. And Psalm 34 is a psalm that's full of life and it's full of, of joy. And that's exactly what these believers in, in all these different places in, in modern-day Turkey, that's what, they, that's what they needed to be topped up with. Because remember, at the beginning of this letter, Peter, he, he writes to these believers and uh, he describes them as those who are strangers in the world and they're scattered. They're the dispersed, it says in other versions. Uh, they are believers who had been driven out of their homes there are believers who had been disowned by family and friends. Remember, the commentators uh, made the point that some of their families actually held funerals for them whilst they were alive because they said, if you're going to follow this, Jesus, you are dead to us. So these Christians, they, they knew what it was to, to suffer for Jesus' sake and it was going to get worse. And Peter understood the pain of that. Peter knew all about the difficulties of being a Christian. Very soon after this letter was written, Peter would be crucified upside down for believing in Jesus. Peter knew what it was to be an alien and a stranger. Peter knew, and he reminded these believers, that uh, this world uh, is not home. Heaven is home. But in this section here, Peter is reminding these believers that this world isn't just a miserable waiting room that we have to wait in uh, until it's time for heaven. We shouldn't look at the world that God made with a kind of dark, miserable lens. It's God's world. Every day he's given us is a gift of life. You know, I was in a waiting room on Thursday, a big waiting room called Edinburgh Airport. I'd been there since 7 o'clock in the morning. And no sooner was I in the door of the airport when the thing came up on the screen that your flight's delayed. And so it was delayed for one hour, two hours, three hours. I think it was delayed for about four hours. So I was sitting in this airport, in this, in this waiting room. So what was I doing for these three, four hours in the waiting room? I wasn't doing much. I was just sitting there impatiently, thinking, when on earth am I going to get out of this place and get home? I've got things to do. I've got people to see. I want to get back home. And that's the way we, we view waiting rooms, whether we're waiting for our tires to get changed or for a plane to take off. And Peter is saying to these believers, this world is not some miserable waiting room. Peter doesn't want these Christians to be sitting about with long faces, you know, checking their watches, waiting impatiently to, to go home. So he reminds them this is God's world. Every day we're given us God's gift. So he says, love life. 
and enjoy good days. And there's a future dimension to this, but there's also a present tense dimension to this. If we are those, if we are those who are headed for, for heaven and we are going to be those uh, who, who love life and enjoy uh, pure goodness in heaven, something of that should penetrate into this world. We shouldn't be Christians who are, who are miserable, dragging our feet, uh, you know, bringing bad moods everywhere we go to love life. Enjoy good days. There should be joy. There should be relish in our lives as we walk close with the Lord. And if you want an example of this, Jesus. Jesus didn't spend 33 years in a spiritual retreat telling people that he couldn't wait to get out of this sinful, broken world. And Jesus would have felt much more of the, of the horror of sin than we do because his conscience was not dysfunctional in the way that ours is he was perfect he was pure he was more sensitive to sin and brokenness than any of us ever will be and yet he didn't spend his time in this world miserable complaining and saying constantly i just want to get home now we see jesus and and he lived a a full abundant life He, he worked hard he laughed he cried he was a friend to many he he went to dinner parties he mixed with all kinds of people because he loved people. He came to seek them. He came to save them. And our mission is, is to be like that. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. Our mission is to be in the community, uh, to be with people. We're to work hard. And whatever it is God has given us to do, uh, we're to, to work cheerfully. We're to be out of the football. We're to be out of the funk. We're to be in the shop. We're to be at the gym. We're to be in the world, but we are to be like Christ. And that's the key. We're to be like Christ. Now, for those who, who are out in the, in the middle of things in, in communities, whether it's in the middle of a choir or in the middle of a football team or uh, in a work environment surrounded by people, there's great opportunity. That's where Jesus wants us to be. But it's such a tragedy if we find ourselves surrounded by people, but we're not like Jesus. So we're to be in the world. We're to be loving life. We're to be uh, seeking uh, to to live uh, good days, but we're to be like Christ. You know, there's two extremes that we've gone wrong in in, in church history over the years. Uh, sometimes we get uh, a Christianity uh, that that focuses very much on 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 being pure and holy, and they withdraw into monasteries and spiritual retreats. So there, there's a a focus on holiness. There, there's a there's a, a great clarity on the truth of the gospel, but there's nobody to tell. Because you never go near people. And that's one extreme of church history. And then there's been other times in church history uh, where there's been great efforts and great endeavors in being in the world and being surrounded by people and having lots going on, but we've lost sight of the message. We've become dislodged from the Bible. We've drifted from Jesus. And in both these situations, we're ineffective. They're calling us to be like Christ, but in the world. And how can we be like Christ? By, by being with him but by receiving and rejoicing in the grace that he gives us each day. So relish life is the third point. The fourth point is to repent continually. In verses 10 and 11, Peter says that the Christian (coughs) must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. Uh, He must turn from evil and so so on he goes. And uh, this is not a, a new teaching, but it's a needful reminder that we are to be repenting continually. Again, repentance is not something that happens on the, on the day that, we're, that we become Christians and then we leave repentance behind. Repentance 
is the thing that we are doing constantly in our Christian lives. Martin Luther said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. All of the Christian life is repentance, turning from sin and trusting in the good news that Jesus saves sinners aren't merely a one-time inaugural experience, but the daily substance of Christianity. The gospel is for every day and every moment. Repentance is to be the the Christian's continual posture. And probably the area, as Peter applies this, probably the area where we are most conscious of our need to repent is is the use of our tongues. And uh, Peter knew that, and, and we know that today. Our tongues, James tells us, are, are like wild animals. They're hard to tame. Our tongues, if we're honest, are, are drawn to evil. That's why tabloids sell. Our tongues are, are prone to wander into gossip. Our tongues are, are quick to, to, to criticize rather than lift up others. Our tongues are, are quick to be deceitful. Our tongues are, are quick to say something that will get us off the hook and make ourselves look a bit better while somebody else gets trampled. And that's what we're to repent of. Our tongues are not to be used for evil and for deceitful speech, says Peter. So so what are our tongues to be used for? Well, our tongues are to be used for truth. If our tongues are not tools of evil and deceitful speech, then it's very clear that our tongues should be used for truth, for sharing the truth. And who is the truth? Jesus is the truth. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the truth. So the outworking of repentance in our lives and in our speech, is not just keeping quiet and avoiding evil and deceitful speech. Repentance involves using our tongues to tell people about Jesus. So Christians, are we telling people about Jesus? I get 25, 30 minutes here, once, twice a week. And if it's all down to me, there's very limited opportunity. But you're in the distillery, you're in the school, you're in the hospital, you're in the shop, you're at the football field. Christians are all over Harris, in all kinds of different work places and spaces, with all kinds of relationships. And we are called to tell people about Jesus, not about church. All that's going to do is stir up a, a conversation that, that, that goes bad. Tell people about Jesus. And if we find this difficult, um, take encouragement from uh, the, the speech at the General Assembly this year. Bob Ackroyd, uh, who's the moderator for the year, he, he made a speech where the focus was exclusively evangelism, telling people about Jesus. And Bob said this, many of us feel ill-equipped for presenting the gospel. We do not do it that well. Then he quotes the late Don McLeod. Don McLeod often quoted this aphorism. If a thing is worth doing, it is worth doing badly. We don't wait until uh, we we can do the thing excellently. That's the point that he's making. If a thing is worth doing, it's worth doing badly. Whether eloquent or not, articulate or not, passionate or not, we proclaim the gospel. Even if we do it badly, says Bob. George Whitfield said, other men may preach the gospel better than I, but no man can preach a better gospel. So to repent continually is to keep evil and deceit out of our mouths and keep Jesus and his gospel in our mouths. The message, says Bob, of the gospel is to come. You are welcome. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Whatever care we have for the lost, Jesus cares more. Whatever effort we make to reach the lost, Jesus does more. Whatever cost we experience in proclaiming the gospel, Jesus incurs more, much more. Our message, says Bob, is come. 
I fear that many within our wider audience feel like the message is go, as in go away. We need to make every effort to warmly welcome people to the good news of Jesus Christ, to assure them that the welcome mat is out. And that's part of what is involved in repenting continually. We turn away from evil and deceitful speech, and we ask people to turn to Jesus. And the final thing, just a word, is uh, we are called to righteous living. And it's really summing up everything that's gone before it. But there's another dimension to it as well. Uh, uh, Peter's calling us to holiness. The old word that's kind of, it's kind of become a, a negative word in the minds of some, but there's nothing negative about it. Uh, we are called uh, to, to live holy lives, to be like Jesus. We're called uh, to, to do good, says Peter, and to seek peace and to pursue it. And these words are, are, are they're action words. We are called to do good. That takes intention. That takes determination. We're called to seek peace. That means that we've got to, to go out and try and be peacemakers. And we're to pursue it, even if it seems to be hard to find. Keep on going. This is what we're called to. And this is not what saves us. Uh, we're saved by grace, Ephesians 2, chapter 8. But we're saved for good works, Ephesians 2, chapter 10. Uh, chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, or, or to put it another way, we're, we're saved by the redemption of Jesus, uh, what he did, but we're saved for righteous living. And I think probably the place where that comes through very clearly in terms of a hymn is, is when I survey the wondrous cross. Isaac Watts takes us on that journey, and he begins the hymn by saying, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my riches gain I count but loss, and poor contempt on all my pride. And then uh, he says in the hymn, uh, he talks about the love of Jesus, the, the cost that Jesus incurred uh, for us. And the hymn finishes, having seen the gospel, having looked to the cross, having trusted in the grace of Jesus, the only appropriate response is for us to say, love so amazing, so divine, it demands my soul, it demands my life, it demands my all. And that's our mission to give it all to Jesus, to seek to, to live righteous lives. So, so no one gets to say, my life is pointless. No Christian ever gets to say, if only Jesus gave, gave me something to do. If only he called me. Well, he has called you. And he's called you and I uh, to live for him. At work, at school, at home, we are to live lives that are righteous. We are to live lives that reflect something of the character of Jesus. So that, so that, People who never read the Bible and who know nothing of God's love for them may be able to see and hear and feel something of the love of Jesus for them, even through us. And Peter finishes up by saying, remember the Lord is watching. The Lord is listening to us. He's seeing what's going on in our lives. He sees our behavior. He hears our conversation. He knows our motivation. He scans our thoughts. He is watching. So keep on mission, says Peter. Live in such a way as to please him. Verse 12. Time's gone, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We acknowledge the challenge of it. Uh, we confess, even as we I'll work through the verses, that we fall far short. But we rejoice in your grace. We are thankful for your grace. And we pray for your help, that we may live lives which are pleasing to you. That we may be those who are repenting continually from sin, uh, the sin in thought, word, and deed, 
And uh, we pray that you would give us the opportunity and the courage uh, to speak to people about Jesus. We thank you for those who spoke to us. We thank you for those who reached out to us. And we pray that you would help us, if we are Christians, to reach out to those who are still lost. And for anyone here who is not yet a Christian, we pray that for those who see their sin, Lord, we pray that uh, they would not let another day pass them by, but that they would call out to Jesus, uh, seek forgiveness, seek salvation, and know the assurance of his amazing, saving, and sustaining grace. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit, be with us all now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>